1: We continue the conversation on the talking point. Uh, like I was saying in the first hour of the show, that one of the things we had decided to do as a team was to, um, you know, round up effectively what is coming out of the Mewa trial at the end of every week. Uh, simply because we miss out on on so many hours uh, during the day of what's coming out of that trial, and we note the the messages that you send to us saying, uh, you know, you want more coverage of the trial, you want to be able Able to Uh, keep up and follow up with it. And it's so coincidentally, it it happened rather by coincidence that uh, yesterday ended up on the dramatic note that it did. So um, the purpose of this was really to try and interrogate and get into the actual evidence that is coming out of the murder trial. Uh, We'll get to that later on in this conversation. Because of what happened yesterday, it's important for us to uh, begin with taking a look at the arrest that took place of advocate Malise Lattefu. That is really what has overshadowed uh, that trial in the last 24 hours. Uh, We know that the trial itself has been postponed to uh, the 30th of May. That's when the cross-examination of witnesses will continue in particular as Sergeant Tabo Musia who is the first witness that has been called up by the state. Let me welcome onto the show Hasina Ghori who is an SABC news journalist Hasina good morning good morning thank you for having me Mpumelelo Zikalala is director at Zikalala Attorneys Mpumelelo good morning to you as well
2: good morning to you to and also to the SAFM listeners and also to my fellow panelists
1: Chad Thomas is a, an organized crime investigator from IRS Forensic Investigations Chad good morning
0: very good
1: morning to you, Kathy. I, I think, you, like, like I said, I, I wanted us to to get into the actual content of of what's been presented in court so far. Of course, we can't do that without uh, reflecting on the past 24 hours. In fact, Hasina, as, as I speak to you, um, you are, of course, following what is unfolding today uh, with the anticipated court appearance of Advocate Defoe. Give us a sense of what has come out of this morning so far.
3: So this morning we are at the Hillbrow Magistrates Court. We understand that Advocate uh, Melissa Latehu has been held here overnight after he was taken uh, dramatically at the North Harta in the High Court yesterday. That very public and, and uh, you know, widespread visuals that we're seeing of him been taken down into the prison cells. So uh, we, what came out yesterday was a lot of confusion or uncertainty on what exactly was the charges. Um, You know, we heard that voice note from him uh, while he was in the holding cells explaining to us the charges. We've got um, his instructing attorney, um, Tobani, Uh, we spoke to him earlier this morning. Um, He said that he was with uh, Advocate therefore in the holding cells till 1 a.m. this morning. Until the very early hours of the morning they were assisted by the NPA to try and get the docket which never came through to them uh, they are here at court this morning he was meeting with advocates therefore are uh, we hoping uh, you know to finally get into the courtroom what they're hoping for this morning is to have that bail application or to find out what exactly are the charges as well as what's the process forward from here, and get Advocate Sefu released. And then from there, uh, you know, he will speak to us as well and address uh, the media and, and and give us some kind of understanding of what's you know, happening uh, right now. This is, uh, as we know, the charges are related to trespassing, which alleged took place at the khazeng Provincial uh, tra- uh, Police Department. Um, according to Advocate Sefu, he believed it was a fraudulent warrant that was used to arrest him, that he has a cancellation of, that warrant, and he's had it appeared. So this contempt of court charge uh, is just a trumped up charge. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this, you know, today in court. But we spoke with the instructing attorney and asked him what happens, you know, with the sense of trial while this is ongoing, while this is playing out. He's, uh, you know, really said that from their side they will continue that if advocates therefore is unable to so represent. Uh, the uh, four accused. They will get a and brief another advocate, but they are still continuing, and this is not going to add any more hindrance or delays mm. uh, to the Sandoval trial than we've already seen.
1: Hasena, it's not the first time that advocate therefore, has been arrested, and mm-hmm. in what is perceived to be a rather brazen matter, in November last year he was arrested twice in as many weeks Mm -hmm. again um, on charges that he believed were effectively trumped up charges uh, because of the work that he's doing and even then uh, he maintained that he is uh, you know stepping on the toes of senior police officers and senior management Mm -hmm. in the SAPS and therefore he has a target on his back. What more can you tell us about this?
3: So this is something we've heard not just from advocates we not just, you know, just in the last few days or the last few hours. He has been saying this, you know, we spoke to him ahead of the trial, throughout the process. He said that he's got a target on his back. He has um, seemed to have upset the top brass of uh, the police. Um, you know, you heard those utterances in court while the uh, arrest was being executed, saying that, you know, the minister of police, may you know have something against him and and that could be the reason why we find him you know being arrested in that fashion and and in that brazen manner that we saw but also speaking with one of an associate uh, very close to him um, John Clark yesterday outside of court, he repeated the same kind of information saying that he works with advocates therefore in some of these cases, which also seem to be whistleblowers that come out against corruption within the police uh, sector. And he says that they've seen this kind of intimidation and it's this public arrest and that very public arrest was almost as if a a warning for those that may want to come out as well uh, and, and, and speak out on corruption. Uh, that this could be what they could face as well. So really, this is what, you know, they're saying that and maintaining that because of the line of work that Advocate Hereford does, he was a police officer who then moved into labor law and then practiced as an advocate specifically around cases of corruption within the police. And he seemed to have, you know, done the, won a lot of these cases against the uh, police uh, as a whole. So he seems to have ruffled some feathers and saying this is why we've seen him being intimidated and threatened. Um, we heard him tell the court quite often um, that he has received death threats, not just him, but also his instructing attorneys. So mm-hmm. this is something he's maintained for quite a while.
1: All right, and and since then, of course, we've had the police minister Begitaile respond uh, to those mm-hmm. allegations, and he believes that uh, Advocate Defo needs to bring whatever evidence it is that uh, he he has to substantiate what he's saying. He's also um, uh, tasked the national commissioner um, to investigate what uh, what the circumstances of this arrest were. Mbumele let me bring you in here the the arrest that took place the way in which that arrest took place that's really what is on the public's minds right now that has caused the the debate that it should not have been handled in the way that it was um if if you had a client who presented you with the footage that we have seen over the 20 oh, over the last 24 hours what would you say
2: uh, definitely to start to question the manner of, of, of the arrest. Let's remember that you have a law that prescribes how an arrest should occur. If you look at the Criminal Procedure Act, Chapter 5, it tells you what should be done. What's, what, what, the misconception is this that you have to use force, you have to use uh, the, 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 the shackles, which is something which should not be done. A, a simple explanation of saying we are here to arrest you, we have a search warrant against you, please read it so that we're able to deal with this matter in an ordinary manner. They could have approached him even in in his his own house. They could have approached him even in the the car park. They're coming into a courtroom where your clients are probably within the vicinity, where the members of the media that are there, they are members of the public that are there, arresting a fellow legal practitioner who is an officer of the court, inside the courtroom definitely says something about the man in which that particular warrant of arrest was executed. In fact, I would even choose to align myself with the definition of saying that the independence of the judiciary does not start and end with the presiding officer only. It even includes a legal practitioner, who must also be protected from any perceived biasness or perceived attacks by any other um, uh, members of, 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 of the state, including the police. So that at the end of the day, you see that whatever you are doing, you are doing it in an ordinary manner within the courts and corporate of employment. There are a number of ways in which they could have secured the attendance of Advocate advocates in any proceedings. They could have called him. They could have gone to his house. They could have used even the break, the, the week's break, which was afforded to by, by the court when dealing with this matter of uh, um, Senator Mayo. There is no absolute reason in in my own understanding of why they had to go into such extensive measures and going in the guns-pleasing and, and saying that we want to arrest you come hello high waters because of the warrant of arrest, which is against you. There are number of ways in which they could have communicated with okay? him. The most important thing, which must be afforded to him at all times, is that he's still an individual whose rights are still applicable to him. So when you look into the Bill of Rights, those rights are still applicable to him. And in order to make sure that you authenticate whatever that you are doing, make sure that you are are showing people that you are not flexing your powers, you're simply doing what you're supposed to do as a police, you must stick to the law as it is is written. The criminal Procedure Act is there for a reason, and it should be complied with. What we saw yesterday was a brazen attack on, if if, I would say, on legal practitioners, recent attack or, or, or sort of a display of power from, from the side of the law enforcement officers, which is something that shouldn't be done, especially within our, our court.
1: We're going to continue the conversation. After the break, I'll also bring Chad Thomas in. It's 10.30 for now. Let's take you over to Ann Musa, who's standing by with your latest headlines. Tweet
0: at SFM Radio and at Cathy Mossasana.
1: For rounding up the week in the Senzo-Meiwa murder trial, uh, joining us uh, this morning, Hasina Gori is our journalist that has been watching that story. Mpumelelo Zikalala is director at Zikalala Attorneys, and Chad Thomas is an organized crime investigator from IRS Forensic Investigations. Uh, Mpumelelo, before we get into the the, the actual outcomes of, of this case this past week, um, I want to deal with this issue of of what you say is is the disrespect of legal uh, practitioners, at least the way that this arrest was effected. Do you think that um, Judge Maumela would be well within his rights to make a comment on what has happened, given that it took place in his courtroom? Yes, it was after um, the proceedings, but it's very much linked to uh, this to to the murder trial. Hello, Mbumelelo?
2: Hello, I can hear.
1: Oh yes, did, did you hear my question? Yes, I did. All right, you can go. You can answer mm. it.
2: Mm. I, I think I think when when he comes back, he should make 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 a, a statement, especially within an open court. Unfortunately, he can't hold the press uh, conference or call the press and explain what happened yesterday. But I, I think on the next occasion, he should come in and say, "I want this court, which which I preside on." be respected at all times i'm not entirely happy with the conduct of what happened even though i'm not there at the time but it's still a vicinity or an area in which i practice under and i'm my authority which is supposed to take place all the time now i'm not interfering in the merits of the matter i'm not saying that the person is innocent and guilty but all that i want is the adherence to the principle legal principles that they are and respect for all the disciplines and legal professionals that are there even even those non legal professionals that are also present the, the the way in which our legal system works it, it is fueled or it will ensure that there is respect all the time which is, which is why we even call each other our learned friends, so that at the end of the day there's a decorum of 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 respect that is 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 forever um, existing between any of the persons which are inside court, and which is why a courtroom must be respected at all times, which is why I would even think that there's even a separation of powers in terms of saying let make sure that it is independent. If you look at it from this particular point of view, how are you going to have the confidence that any other witnesses which are going to attend in this particular court are not going to be arrested on on, on other occasions? How is Advocate Jeff going to stand up on the next occasion and be, be able to be confident and be able to execute his duties in a well-orchestrated manner if he even realizes that he was arrested on that particular day in this particular seat that he's, he's, he's occupying while he's, he's dealing with the trial? How are, are his clients going to look at him? Because when you see a legal practitioner, you have the atmosphere to I him. Mean. So if you see him being arrested, then certainly does cast a bit of doubt. I'm saying this because there are other alternative ways in which they could have occurred or been able to achieve the attendance of advocates to a certain court that you are supposed to attend to either than doing it in the manner in which it was executed yesterday. The,
1: the, the, the big concern that has been raised by Advocate Defoe is that he's being um, harassed effectively because of the case he has taken on and what he has uncovered um, through this process of the investigation. He believes that the evidence that has been presented against his clients, which is four of the five accused in the Mewa trial, that that evidence is simply not enough to uh, secure and con- a conviction. In fact, he believes that uh, his clients should not be anywhere near this case because it is fabricated evidence. Effectively, that is linking them to this case. Chad, th- th- those you know, it's, it's a very strong allegation to make. It's a strong belief uh, to to have uh, and 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 especially where you have a state that is saying we are going to secure a, convic- a conviction based on on evidence your overall just analysis of of what has been put in the public space so far
0: well i think the most important thing when investigating a matter and then taking a matter to trial is to show intent and the intent in this particular instance doesn't, doesn't come across as being a robbery that's gone wrong. In fact, it seems to have been a, a murder for hire, because when one looks at the suspects that are standing in the dock that are now accused of these very serious um, charges of, of murder and conspiracy to commit murder, these men were previously hired by influential people in their particular industries to, to commit murder. So why would they be at the scene of this crime? Why would they have pulled the trigger? And why would this particular person have died? So it can't be seen in isolation as a robbery gone wrong and that there was a scuffle. So without the public knowing a little bit more about what transpired, we're going to have all of these armchair critics and all these armchair investigators coming out with their own theory. Then, of course, we've got the five-part series on Netflix that lends a lot of difference. Um, theories that have come out, and who all had motive within this particular case. So my concerns are as follows. Number one, the 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 crime scene expert that was um, interrogated on the stand by the advocate, Sergeant Moussia, Sergeant Moussia said that it took four hours to get to the scene, but in his understanding, the scene wasn't tampered with. That's a very important piece of information, and it can be misconstrued. Because people are going to say, yes, but people walking in and out, there was no control over the scene. Well, that's not tampering with the scene. That means the scene is not being kept sterile. The scene is not being kept in its original state, simply because people are trying to move somebody who's been injured, at this stage still purportedly alive, to a motor vehicle to transport that person to a hospital so that person can get treatment. They've now left the dwelling. Other people have come to see what was going on. Other police have arrived on the scene. And the scene gets trampled. It doesn't necessarily mean, though, that the scene was, in fact, tampered with. So a lot of people seem to think that Boussia was caught up by saying, look, it may have taken me four hours to get there, but in my professional opinion, the scene wasn't wasn't tampered with. What he's not saying is that the scene wasn't kept in a sterile manner. He's just saying that, in his honest opinion, nothing was planted or nothing was removed. So when one looks at the overall picture and one looks at the timeline, there are glaring question marks that need to be answered. One of the most important things that needs to be proven in this particular case is the motive behind the killing. Because if there isn't a motive and there isn't intent, it's quite a stretch to take these people who've been involved in organized crime, they've been involved in murder for hire in the past, to now place them at the scene and to claim it's basically a robbery gone wrong
1: just on that issue of of motive and we ye- yesterday's events cannot be delinked to the allegation that they are influential people high powered people that could well have been behind the ordering of the the murder of Senzo Muye if that's you know one of the theories that that one believes here chad
0: Well, I agree with you. Um, When you look at the kind of crime that was described, it was a very opportunistic type crime. People are walking past a home. They see that there's, there's expensive cars parked outside. They go inside. They want to steal cell phones, but they don't take the vehicles. They flee the scene. Somebody is shot during what was purportedly a struggle, and these people are later arrested many years later. This was not an opportunistic crime because when one looks at the Suspects, these are not opportunistic criminals. These are not your ragamuffled guys that are out there on the street that have acquired a firearm and they're now looking for a victim to steal a cell phone, to sell that cell phone, to score drugs. These are hardened criminals that have been involved in some very high profile killings specifically within the taxi industry. So one asks the question why would they be there at that particular time? They must have been hired if they are in fact the killers. And it leads us to motive and it then leads us to understand that if there is motive and they were hired, is this person currently pulling the strings? Because why are they not speaking out about who it is in fact that was was accused of killing? Now we had a very similar situation in South America, specifically Colombia, in the
1: late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Chad, Chad, uh, hold, hold that thought for me. I, I don't want to interrupt you as as you go into the rest of of your analogy. Um, we're going to continue with it after this quick break. I'll also uh, be taking some of our callers, and I'm hoping that we'll also be able to bring uh, play some of the sound, at least uh, that uh, that came out of the the murder trial this week, at least the cross examination aspect of it.
0: Mm-hmm. The Talking Point with Kathy Sasana. weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're
1: wrapping up the week of the Senzo Mewa murder trial. Hasina Gore is still on the line. Our SABC journalist Mpumelelo Zigalala is director at Zikalala Attorneys and Chad Thomas is an organized crime investigator with IRS Forensic Investigations. Chad, I, I interrupted you a bit there so you can continue. I must
0: apologize. Sometimes I do go off on a tangent. I wanted to draw the analogy between South Africa currently, specifically in KwaZulu Natal, to what we saw in various regions of Colombia in the late 80s, early 90s, where we had an increase of what was called sicarios. Sicarios were hitmen. They were murdered for hire, and they would go out and they would take out rival members of of um, gangs for territory. We see in South Africa a lot of politically motivated and a lot of industry-related killings, specifically in KwaZulu-Natal. And the people accused in the sense of a year trial have been positively linked and found guilty in some instances of being a part of these organized crime, murder for higher syndicates from KwaZulu-Natal. Now, when one looks at that and one looks at the psychopathy of these individuals, they are quite brazen and open about what it is they do. But people are saying if they were involved... Why aren't they pointing out the people that appointed them in the first place? Well, in many instances. Uh,
1: Sorry about that, Chad. You can continue.
0: um, In many instances, what we've seen is that they haven't even named the people that purportedly instructed them to carry out murders in the taxi industry. And this is because prison is a very dangerous place, it has a hierarchy. And if you go into prison and you haven't spilt the beans on somebody else, you are elevated in terms of your status. Further to this, your family is maintained and given a specific way of, of of living outside. They're getting allowance on a month-to-month basis. So sometimes people may not blow the whistle on those that instructed them to commit the crime simply because they feel that their families are being looked after, and they are quite accustomed to the life within the prison system. So everybody thinks there's going to be an earth-shattering moment during this trial where one of these people are going to turn around and to name who it is that purportedly instructed them to carry out this murder for hire. I don't think that's going to happen. And this is of, what's of, of such concern to, to a country. We've lost an icon, yet we don't know who ordered the hits.
1: I want to um, just play what um, Mary de Haas, Professor Mary de Haas, has to say on this matter because she was in conversation with my colleague, Aldrin St. Pierre, yesterday. She is with the UKZN and she uh, she's an honorary research fellow there.
4: Last year, I was struggling to make sense of it because I know that he's made himself deeply unpopular with the Minister of Police. And with police themselves, because I, I, I think people don't understand just what's going on in the police but that it's become it's become a kind of nepotistic employment group to to employ your friends and get rid of the people uh, they've been using irregular dismissals to get rid of competent, experienced policemen who they don't like because they want to put their friends in. There's a, the, the police have been really politicized. I mean, it's very evident in places, parts of KZN, where you've got a lot of police as Zuma supporters, and, of course, the Free State, uh, Magus, all Magashula people are appointed. That's why I think, um, you, you know, a lot of, a lot of them. So, so the police are heavily politicized. And and quite frankly, they, they act about the law all the time. I mean, I'm absolutely horrified by what I've seen. I mean, if you get a policewoman irregularly dismissed without even being at a hearing, and then the man who's been sent to do a threat assessment is told to th- change the assessment because he found she was under threat and the threat comes from police management Mm -hmm. you know we're dealing with problems in the police so so I thought maybe this was it last year but the fact that he was winning case after case and trying to get members reinstated in the police and that's why he was so unpopular because some of these were some of the people persecuting the police were, were in cahoots with politicians but then of course he took on this case which is a real hot potato which he was starting to work on late last year, so I kind of wondered if if this was a warning to him, uh, you know, to to kind of uh, to stay, you know, to 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 back off. I, I don't know. I don't know what the arrests last year were for. Quite yeah. well, I know what they were for. They the one was for um, allegedly for uh, a contempt of court case that, apparently, according apparently he'd applied for rescission. It was a. It was what he said was a really partisan court he'd applied for rescission. If you do that, you know, you can't just go arresting people for something. Um, And the other one was some funny charge about he was trespassing on police property.
5: Yeah, an assault.
4: Yeah, well, I don't know. I didn't even hear about the assault. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never saw anything coming out of the assault. But certainly, look, they manufacture these charges. I must tell you, I have been dealing since the 90s. With, 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 um malicious charges against policemen who are just doing their job. Sometimes because they, their investigations are leading to politicians, sometimes because they're exposing corruption. I have a whole, I've, I've been recording it since the 1990s, because basically we're still in apartheid policing. We haven't changed, Mm. I can tell you that. And and, and with the city press also highlighting in that article that um, the arrest coming um, after he, this is now Advocate um, D4, had sent a dossier containing what they call explosive explosive allegations to President Cyril Ramaphosa against the National Police Commissioner-General Ketlas Stolle. He'd done that, but he'd also he'd also written to to the uh, I think he he and others had written to 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 the president about the minister as well. Oh. No, he's written to the minister as well as about Sotolli. Look, uh, I mean, the Sotolli issue is another issue altogether because at one stage Tefo actually, um, according to one one thing he sent round to us, that he got into a conversation with Sotolli in which. Uh, Satorley had said to him that he was not being kept informed by management. I mean, I checked at the time Tiffer was arrested last year with someone who was fairly close to the Satoli and who said, Well, Satoli didn't know about it. In fact in fact Tiffer said the signature on the on the on the appointment card of one of the members that he said was an old apartheid security policeman who arrested him, um, who'd only just been reappointed and had left the police just after the arrest, yeah. he said it wasn't even Sotola's signature.
1: So, those are just some of the elements that are coming out linked to this case. Bumelelo, do you think that it is going to be possible to separate all of these, uh, you know, allegations of high level involvement of politicians or other influential people? Um, from what is actually unfolding in
2: the court? I I think in the the court of public opinion, the answer is a definite no. But inside the courtroom, the judge has to separate these two. He has to down all the noise which is happening outside and simply look at the facts as they are. Mm. What is also going to assist is that you deal with the procedural and substantive compliance issues within those particular forums. So for advocates, therefore, what he can do, he can simply say, okay. After I've won my case, I want to civil, I want to institute civil proceedings against the minister and the police. Uh, they've they've defamed me in in a, in a very public manner, and I want to some type of compensation. What is worrisome what about that, and what I always complain about is that. When the conversation comes in, it is the taxpayer's money which is ordered to pay for the mistakes of other individuals. And they mostly get out scot-free without being punished at all for simply not doing the job that they were taught to do. And then what you'll find is that even the the, the minister of police or even the police ministry will not come back and say, these are the type of things that you want to limit or to mitigate against. Hence, we have sent our police officers for training so that they have a better understanding on how to execute this type of warrants of arrest. So in terms of what's going to happen inside court, definitely the the judge is going to have a member task of saying, let me separate what is happening outside these proceedings so that I'm able to deal with the facts as they are. They may not be favorable with regard to other individuals, and certainly uh, both the state and I think advocates would, would make certain submissions which would insinuate or maybe link the two if they do exist, and the judge must take cognizance of that if, if it needs to be, but the, 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 the rules simply say deal with the manner and the evidence which has been submitted as it is and do not introduce things which have not been introduced or that cannot be evaluated uh, outside the confines of the legal principles and the decided case law that we have in, in our court forms.
1: Mm, and I suppose that's really the most difficult thing to do, right, especially when it comes to the broader allegations of the influence of these influential or high-level people, whatever that means. Mlu, you're calling us from Durban. Good morning. Hey, Kate, how are you? I'm all right, thank you.
5: To the President, please, get rid of the exile. It's going to cost him. That's the that's that's only thing Kata I want to say
1: why do you say the that president move? must
5: get rid of the equally one he's a dodgy character i don't want to mention things that as uh when he was where, where, when he was indicated and let the list of this one with the advocate to to say it openly to say there's a problem with the minister and you can tell that the guy is confident he knows what he's talking about it's not like he's fabricating a story he's pointing direct where the problem is it is the so the president must take note of that you know and I'm not sure why he left. Him when he wanted to dismiss Soli. He was supposed to get rid of both of them, you know.
1: All right, okay, Mlu. We'll leave it there Thank you. since you, you're not telling us any more. But <laughs> we'll have to be okay with that. Um, Mlu out in Durban, uh, effectively again echoing the the, the sentiment of. Um, Advocate, therefore, there. Uh, Chad, I I want to talk about this issue of the forensics that have been uh, collected in in connection with this case. When you hear the line of questioning of of advocate, therefore, so far, do you think that we may get to a point where this evidence is inadmissible?
0: The states are very confident that the ballistics have come back and proven that a weapon used by one of the accused um, is positively linked to another murder that the accused was found guilty of. So they say they can tie the the murder weapon in from that case to this particular case and therefore, by extension, link it to this particular suspect that now stands accused in the dock. It's very difficult to go against Tangible forensic forensic evidence, Um, but there's also a lot of circumstantial evidence that comes into play. So the eyewitness testimony of the people that purportedly saw them leaving the scene will not, it cannot ever be admitted, simply because they are no longer with us. They both passed away, and the Constitution enshrines the right for a person to be able to cross-examine somebody who's accused them of something or somebody who bears testimony against them. And in this particular instance, they won't be able to question those eyewitnesses, which means that the only eyewitnesses that will be brought into the witness box to give testimony are the people that were in the House at that time. And that should be very interesting, because then the defense attorneys will have the opportunity to cross-examine the evidence that's presented by these eyewitnesses when they point out in court who they believe were in the house on that particular evening. So, to get back to your original question, from a forensics perspective, the scene was soiled. It was not, it was spoiled. It was not tampered with, according to um, the crime scene unit um, from the local criminal record center. He he said it was not trampled, but we would know that people would have trampled the scene. So there's not much evidence that comes out of it. The ballistic evidence, however, is critical in this case because they are using the ballistic evidence as one of the key elements to prove their case. But I do not think it can rest on that alone. It's going to have to come down to either of this testimony.
1: Anonymous, uh, good morning to you. Hello, Uh, Anonymous. Can you hear me? Yes, I can.
5: Yes, Cathy. Um, Kathy, I want to remain anonymous for obvious reasons. I, I agree with the person that says that the national police minister, Becky Kelly, is so heavily involved in this nonsense. I've worked with him when he was the MEC for Department of Transport in CZM. I was actually in, in the traffic police when he was my boss. I know what type of person this is. He dresses up like the mafia. He acts like the Don. I know of people he's personally gotten rid of while he was in KZN in the Department of Transport. I have since resigned from the, from, uh, uh, the traffic police in KZN. If anybody needs to be taken out um, of this equation and singled out, it's the minister of police, Becky Dele. That man is the most dangerous person in this country. And Sarah Ramaposa cannot see this because Sarah Ramaposa is actually in—I uh, don't know—he knows what this man has done, and this man has got some. Both both are protecting each other. That—that that is what I have to tell you, and I know for a fact. If I name myself, I can give it one hour, and there'll be people knocking at my door.
1: All right, anonymous. Let's leave it there. Um, I think you know you—you've made your point. St- uh, you know, to the point, uh, short, short, short uh, shortened to the point. There, you know, I, I'm thinking about this in Bumelo because, in the end, right? Despite what the public perceives to be going on, and um, you know, we've had the callers that we've had today that that also bring in their own contributions. Um, if this case effectively, if there is no successful conviction. In this matter, what do you think that is going to do for um, the idea of, of justice or even access to justice? And, and it's a hard one to, to talk about because it, it might insinuate that these individuals must be found guilty because somebody needs to be found guilty. But yeah. they, But that's effectively the weight of what this case now represents.
2: I think that separates it into the way in which our justice system works by the, by the courts and the presiding officers and legal practitioners. It would have meant that they were able to do their work, they were able to separate the truth from the lies, and they're able to hold, if what anyone is found guilty, whoever must be found accountable, accountable. But what it will do is to to focus the spotlights on the law enforcement agencies in which it has really done that during this party investigation stage. Uh, unfortunately, things are not on on their side. Firstly, it has taken us eight years to get to where we are. Now, I'm I'm a bit baffled as to the amount of resources, the amount of training, and the ability to do all this type of investigation. Why is it taking so long in order to to prosecute and find the the real culprits to come and and, and stand in the dock? And if those are the real culprits which are in the dock, then it must be easy in order to prosecute them. But another important one is that our policemen are there to serve and protect us. A part of that is that we must gain—they must prove to us that they are independent. They also must prove to us that they're not being influenced by any other persons or individuals. If you are going to have callers such as the one that you have called now, it simply says the level of the confidence in our SAPS or law enforcement agencies is dropping or it has dropped, and it should be a concern from the minister and especially for the president. Now, in order for them to redeem themselves from doing this particular process, they must do everything according to the book. One of the ways they could have done that yesterday was to make sure that when they need to affect an arrest of Advocate advocates, they do it in a respectable manner, in a dignified manner, and in a manner in which it complies with the Constitution and also the Criminal Procedure Act. The law is there to be followed, and it is, it is written in black and white. The only thing that you have to do from all levels and spheres of government is simply follow what the sections that have been written tell you what to do at, at
0: a certain point in time.
1: And Chad, is there anything you want to add before we wrap up, very briefly?
0: It would just make it so much more clear for the public if we understood that the state could show what the intent and motive was. Because as it is right now, all it's doing is calling for more and more conjecture. And the public are getting riled up, and they need certain clarity on what's going on
1: me thank you both for your time in this conversation. Uh, Chad Thomas, he is an organized crime investigator with IRS Forensic Investigations. M- Mpumelelo Zikalala is director at Zikalala Attorneys. And of course, you'll be hearing more from Hasina Gori, who is watching the developments at Hillbro this morning.